steps. All right, last Sunday, after the uh, Rules and Discipline study, someone came and gave me a sermon title, showed me the verse. So that's what I'm planning to pursue today. Won't be real long. I realize we don't have a whole lot of time. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts, the ninth chapter. Acts, the ninth chapter. This is not the actual verses that I was given. The verses I was given are 1 Corinthians 9, 19, and 20. But I thought this would be a good introduction to those verses. The title for this morning's sermonette is, We Are Own. We Are Not Our Own. And look at the life of Paul somewhat to help us understand a bit uh, going into that. The setting here in Acts chapter 9 was Saul, later to be Paul, was breathing out threatenings and slaughterous insults against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and he received letters to go down to Damascus and to drag all the followers of the way back to Jerusalem to be tried and, and maybe stoned or killed in some inhumane way. And I'll begin reading here at verse 3. And as he journeyed, Paul... He came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now what was that light from heaven? Another place it says there was a light. He gave this testimony, I believe, three times in the book of Acts. Another place he said, the light shone around about me was brighter than the sun. Brighter than the sun. Have you ever tried to look at the sun? He said, there was a light around about me brighter than the sun. And we know it blinded Paul. What was that light? What do you think that light was? I don't know for sure. But Paul said later, actually I'm going to turn to it. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said later, he said this. He's talking about... Jesus' resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, and he's, he's saying that it's authentic. It truly happened. He was seen of Caiaphas. He was Peter and of the twelve. And after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, verse 6, of whom the greater part remained to this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James and then of all the apostles, verse 8. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Now, did Paul actually see Jesus while he walked in ministry? He may have. It would have definitely been possible. But it's also possible that that light that he's seen that was brighter than the sun was the glorified Jesus. I don't know. I'm working on that. I invite your input. Did he see the glorified Christ? Possibly he did. You know, in the Mount of Transfiguration... And said it was bright and it was a white that was whiter than a fuller can make linen white. For Jesus was glorified temporarily in front of the disciples, or Peter, James, and John. So I don't know, but we know this. Paul was lying on the ground. He had just seen a light brighter than the sun, and he said this. He said, Who art thou, Lord? 
he recognized that the light was coming from a divine source. Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Paul knew then who he was talking to. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And that, that helps me think, yeah, maybe he did see Jesus in his glorified state. I don't know. And he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told in thee what thou must do. That phrase, Lord, what will thou have me to do, was the turning point in Apostle Paul's life. He went from being a man who was pulling himself up by his own bootstraps to being a servant of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And that's the phrase I wanted to set the tone for the message this morning. We are not our own. You see, when we come to Christ, if it's a true, authentic conversion, we will say the same thing. Lord, what will thou have me to do? We're done. We're sold out. We've been bought with a price. And we'll develop that as we go through this morning. Now let's turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 for the text verses that I received to share from. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Actually, I think I'm going to begin reading at verse 6. I might be at the wrong place. <laughs> I think I am. I think I need to be in 1 Corinthians 6. Yes. <laughs> I put it all. I wrote it down backwards. I wrote 9-6 instead of 6-9. Yes. 1 Corinthians 6. And follow. Begin at verse 9. That's right. 6 9 instead of 9 6. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor, rev nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. We're going to spend some time in this verse. Ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for meats. Or no, it's food for the body and body for food. But God shall destroy the both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but the Lord and the, and the Lord and the Lord for the body. God hath raised up both the Lord, will also raise us up by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. 
Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, ye are not your own. For ye have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And now the last two verses we read was the focal point, I think, of the request for the message. We are not our own, we are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, both which now belong to God. Now let's go back to verse 11. The setting here is, and Paul's writing to the believers at Corinth, and Corinth was a hard town. It was, it was a, a wicked place, a lot of debauchery, and, and these people were converted, and they came out of that life. And let me say this, maybe some of us are sitting here, well, say, well, I've never lived that life. Well, have you ever thought that life? In other words, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I believe the admonition is for all of us here. And then look at verse 11. Such were some of you. That's how some of you lived in that debauchery. But ye are washed. Ye are washed. What were they washed with? Dial soap and water? No. Let's look at a number of verses. Let's look at Revelation 1 and verse 5. Revelation 1 and verse 5. The setting here is John is receiving, uh, well, John received the message and then he's writing back to the seven churches. And he says, Grace and peace to be you to you from he which is and which was, which is to come, and the seven spirits which are before the throne. Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So Paul is writing to the believers at Corinth, and he said, You have been washed, you have been cleansed. You have been washed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Revelation 7 and verse 14 says this. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which come out of great tribulation, which have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So Paul is writing to the believers at Corinth, and he's saying, You have been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been made clean. And there's also, I could go to Acts 20, 28 and 1 Peter 2, 9. And both of those verses also talk about the washing. No, actually those verses, we will go to those. They're talking about the purchasing. But we are washed. And when we're washed, there's also a transaction takes place. And let's look at Acts 20, verse 28 uh, to consider that transaction that takes place in the washing process. And here, uh, this is being written to, to leaders. It says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, and feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now you catch the two dimensions of this washing. The first dimension is, it's a cleansing of sin. It's a, it's a regeneration. 
But the second dimension of this, this transaction is that there is a purchase takes place. When we're washed with the blood of Jesus Christ and his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness, he also purchases us, purchases us to himself, back to himself. 1 Peter 2.9. First Peter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Priests were set apart to serve God. A holy nation, a purchased, a peculiar. And the word peculiar means a purchased people. That ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. An exchange has, been, has taken place, dear ones. We're walking with Jesus Christ. We're a child of God. We've been washed in his blood. He has also purchased us with his blood in that transaction. Okay, back to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. We'll continue to, to dissect this verse as we go through. The next word we want to talk about is sanctified. He says, such were some of you, but ye are washed. That's the first act. Now we have the second act. Ye are sanctified. What sanctified mean? It means to be made holy. That's that holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God. So we have been purchased. We've been washed. Now we've been set apart for sacred use. And I learned something in this study that I had not known before, which I always learn new things when we open the Bible and read. But the word from which sanctified and sanctification is translated in the Greek is the same word from which hallowed is translated. So we could quote the Lord's Prayer and not do injustice to us to say, Our Father which art in heaven, sanctified be thy name. Act word, interchangeable. Our Father which art in heaven, sanctified be thy name. We could also read this verse and says, But such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are hallowed. Catch the weight of that? Sanctification, hallowed, holy. Same word in the Lord's Prayer. And then we come to the third word here. Ye are sanctified, but ye are justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Justified means to be rendered innocent, to be set free as if it hadn't happened. To be set free. Rendered innocent before God. So think about this. Think about what we've been set free from. We've been set free from all the sins of the past. And we know that with sin comes bondage. With sin comes results, consequences. That's the word I'm looking for. With sin comes consequences. And some of those consequences will follow us. But we've been set free from the guilt and the oppression of it. We've been washed. We've been purchased. We've been hallowed. And we've been justified. Verses 12 through 18 shows us how the washed, the justified, the sanctified, the hallowed live differently than the unwashed person. 
He says, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, I hope you understand, he's not saying that indulgence in sin is lawful for him, but he's saying he's going to weigh everything in life. And if it's not expedient for him, he does not want to be brought under its power. Each of us face that. We need to face that on our own. What is expedient? What is not expedient? What things do I need to, to stay away from because of the pull it will have on my life, even though they may not be things that are sinful within themselves? And he mentions food in the next verse. He says, meats for the belly, or he says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Is food wrong? No. But if food becomes our idol, gluttony is wrong, out of control, yes. But he said, God's going to destroy food in the body both. And then he goes on to talk about immorality. He says, the body was not designed to engage in sinful activities. God created us. God designed us. And he designed every part of us for a rightful purpose. Sin is when we allow Satan to draw us out of that rightful purpose and use our bodies in ways that are outside of God's perfect will. And that's sin. That's lust. That's fornication. That's adultery. That's all the other things that defile the body. Remember, we're talking about a body that has been purchased, a body that has been washed, a body that has been justified and sanctified, that body for God. Know ye not that your members, your bodies are members of Christ? Oh, I missed verse 14. He says, And God hath raised both up in the Lord, and will raise us up by His power. And I've said this many times, but it's so true. The power that raised Jesus from the tomb is the same power that comes into our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit when we are washed, changed, sanctified, and the Spirit of God comes in to reside in our physical beings. We have the power of God through the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Know you not that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I then take them bodies and unite them into debauchery and sin? He says, no, don't do that. But rather, remember, verse 17, that we're joined into the Lord and our spirits cry, Abba, Father. We identify with His Spirit. He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. Our bodies belong to the Lord. His Spirit dwells in us. We are called to walk with Him in unity, in oneness. He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. And that's a verse that, that I need to meditate on, and maybe we all should. Meditate on that verse as we go through life. One spirit with the Lord. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth without the body, he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So he's saying that there's all types of sin, but this body that has been joined to the Lord should not be joined into sinful activities. It's a paradox. It shouldn't happen. The why and the how we live differently. Because we're changed. Now verse 19. 
What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? I, I didn't realize how many times in this passage we're reminded again and again that the Spirit of God is in us. Our body is the temple. Our body is the, is the dwelling place. Think of the great contrast of the Old Testament saint. They had to go to the tabernacle in the wilderness, or they had to go to the temple uh, after Israel was settled into the land of Canaan. They had to go there. They had to draw near to the presence because the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies, and there was the Ark of the Covenant and, and Aaron's uh, staff that budded and the Ten Commandments and the cherubim and all that in the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go in there once a year, and he had to be... Uh, he had to go through ritualistic cleansing and all that to go in, or he would die when he went in. And now the Spirit of God dwells in us. Do you understand how the word hallowed fits in to sanctification? See the connection? Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. Holy is our body. Holy we should be in our lives. A dwelling place for the Spirit of God. We go back again to verse 11, the last five or six words. It talks about all this happens by the Spirit. By the Spirit. The Spirit of God is such a, an important, integral part of the working of salvation. The temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, and ye have of God, and ye are not your own. And that's the phrase that the request came from for the message. And ye are not your own. We are God's. It changes everything, his divine ownership. So what are we to do about that? Verse 20 says, we are bought with a price. We've already identified what that price is. It was the death and the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Did you ever think about God has a double ownership on us? God created us. We all like sheep have gone astray. He had a plan of salvation that he implemented. His son came to earth. He taught. He lived. He gave us an example. He died. He was resurrected. He ascended. And through that process, we can be brought back into a right relationship with God. He purchases us back to Himself. He has a double ownership on us. It reminds me of the story of a little boy who made a, a, sail, a wooden sailboat. And he was out floating it on his little creek behind his house. And a rain came and the boat got away and it was gone. He couldn't find it. Sometime later, he was in town with his father. And he seen a little sailboat in a pawn shop in the window. Someone had found his little boat way downstream and took it to town and sold it to the pawn shop. And he begged his dad, and they went in and bought the boat back, and he hugged his chest. He said, now you're really mine. I made you, and I bought you back. That's how we are with Christ and God. He made us, and he bought us back. We're really his. We're really his. Can you grasp that? And he said, because of that, we are to, we are to glorify God in our bodies and our spirits, in everything, every part of our being should be to the glory of God. Because it is God's. It is God's. We are not our own. 
And I understand the request for this message. It's come, it came from the fact that we live in a society that's say, saying, my body, I have rights to do what I want to with my body. The abortion industry, I'll do what I want to with my body. Do you ever think about what a paradox that is? If the body had been under control, would there ever be an unwanted pregnancy? No. What we're saying is, what society's saying is, I'm going to live with reckless abandonment. I'm going to live in the first part of this. I'm going to live it up. It feels good. Do it. Then when the results of the feel-good-do-it life comes along, it's like, hmm, I should have the right to control my body. No, you gave that up way back. See the paradox? There would never be an unwanted child if we lived in God's will. Outside of maybe a rape situation, understand that. And that's the one situation that the society uses to try to promote everything else. But think about that. My body. In the beginning, God created. Male and female created he them. Is it my body to decide which of the two genders I should be? No. God created us in one camp or the other. And that's who we are. That's what we are. And we live in a society that's, that's encouraging young school children to question that and try to change without letting their parents know what's going on. A perverted society we find ourselves in. We are not our own. We are not our own. It's not for us up to do. It's not up to us to decide. It's up to God to decide what to do with our bodies. And I hope it never comes to the point where that we face what many of our Christian forebears did, where God decided that some of his dear children, their bodies would go to the stake, or their bodies would go to the guillotine, or their body would go to the river. But that was God's choice because he had bought those bodies when he bought the spirits and the souls. And out of that, God brought great glory to himself. You see, the core of this passage is bringing glory to God either by life or by death, to bring glory to God. We are not our own. You know, we're really never our own. <laughs> we're not our own before we come to Christ. We're either under Satan's domain or Christ's domain. We're really never our own. The idea of I'm not going to let anybody tell me what to do. <laughs> You've already told Satan that you're him. We're, on, we're under the domain of one of two. There's only two forces in this world. The Spirit of God and the Spirit of Satan. And I've been impressed recently, and this is going off course here. I've been impressed recently. I wonder if we really understand the power and influence of Satan. Satan was obviously so powerful that he created conflict or, as Revelation called it, war in heaven. And he lost. And he and a third of the angels were cast out. And their spirits, their demons. And we all deal with temptation to do evil. 
be careful because the only antidote to that temptation, the only way to win is the power of God in our lives. We're no match for the forces of evil on our own. We need the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead to be in our lives so we can glorify God. And when we have that power in our lives and we're living for the sole purpose of bringing honor, to glory, honor and glory to God <clears throat> through our power and our spirit, we need not have terror, okay? We need to be respectfully fearful, I believe, of, of sin and Satan. But we shouldn't live in terror because we're on the winning side. We have the power of God. So let's bask in that power. Let's walk in that power. Let's live in that power. And remember, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Lord, what will you have me to do? In looking at this passage, I concluded that's really the only logical question for a child of God to ask. Lord, what will you have me to do? He knows what's best. He sees from eternity past to eternity future. He knows what we need to do. And in reality, we're coming into a week of revival meetings. Well, what is revival? I think maybe we make the Christian life more complicated sometimes when it is. When we come to God through repentance and faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we receive forgiveness, justification, we are sanctified, hallowed, set apart for a holy purpose. We are washed. We are cleansed. The Spirit of God comes into our lives and empowers us. We are set apart for a holy purpose. And we spend the rest of our lives either resisting or embracing God's leading in our lives. It's really that simple. We spend the rest of our lives either resisting or embracing God's leading in our lives. So in essence, a deeper walk with God is simply resisting less and pursuing more, and that is revival. Can we have a song?